0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith, along with my co-host, Adam Stellman. And today we'll be reacting to the week 12 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. Adam, let's talk Seahawks.
1: I gotta tell you that, that sentence just does not sound right for some reason. Man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, and I know I've said this before about other games this season, but I honestly feel like this, I, I'm probably more bummed about this loss than any this season and i think i might have said the same thing last week part of the reason why i feel that way this week is because i do think that one this is a game that we should have won and two i think for me at least right up until the moment we lost this game i thought we were gonna win like there was no doubt there was no doubt in my mind like even you know, when, when it went to ot i was like ah that's fine I, I was like we're gonna win anyway we stopped them in in overtime Uh, or when he missed the kick, I I was like, well, first of all, when we stopped them on, you know, on their, they had one yard to go and we stuffed them and I was like, boom, there it's it. Even if he kicks this field goal, we'll go back, we'll score. We're not going to lose this game. And then of course we lose this game. And, uh, I'm still reeling a little bit because it just, I gotta tell you, man, this, this just didn't, this doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think we were trained for a long time during the Russell Wilson era that any game is a game that we can win. And then we had the poor start to the season, but then great success right after week three. And we're like, all right, we're back. We can win any game. As long as this Seahawks team is in it, then we're in it. Yeah, not, not the case in this one. I have to tell you, this loss is not on the players. I saw some people on Twitter. They were blaming Geno Smith for his interception and the few bad passes that he did have. He still put up over 300 yards. He still had over 70% completion percentage. He had multiple touchdowns. It's not Geno Smith's fault that we lost this game. For me, the reason we lost this game is the coaching staff. The coaching staff lost this game. The offensive game plan was Eh, good-ish in the first quarter, and we'll get into that later, but then it all changed. For me, the only positive takeaway that you can take out of this game is that by the Raiders winning, they jumped up in the draft pick position, and now the Broncos pick is sitting at the fourth pick. That's the only positive thing I can say out of the outcome of this game. But for me, the loss lands squarely on the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we, 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 we could probably make that argument for, for every loss that we've had this season. I do want to say to just kind of jump on your point from from before at the beginning of this was uh, for those out there that are blaming Geno Smith for, for the any of these losses. Uh, Geno Smith is still, even with this game, and and uh, just we can we can look at this game in a microcosm if you want. Uh, he was still one of the most, if not the most efficient quarterbacks uh, di- uh, of in the league this week. Uh, he again had a multiple. Uh, well, I guess sorry, he didn't have a multiple. Well, you no, know, he did. He had a multiple touchdown game, which which means he's had multiple touchdowns in all but one or two games this this season, which puts him up there with I think three other NFL quarterbacks. Uh, and their, their names are Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. Geno's not the problem. Geno Gino is running this offense just almost to perfection. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we could plug in another quarterback right now that is going to play as well as Geno Smith is playing. And I say that knowing that, not saying there aren't more talented or, or better quarterbacks out there, but if we just did a one-for-one swap, you know, no, no, no prep time, no nothing. I don't care who it is. They're not going to come in and run this offense better, any better than Geno Smith is running this offense. We don't have a counter punch right now, and that, 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 that's I see is the biggest issue because it seems like we've got a great game plan until things don't go our way, and as soon as things stop going or things don't go our way, we don't know what to do anymore. And I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I mean, especially with two weeks of prep going into this game where you couldn't have figured out what to do in case you were down at some point in the game. Because it really did look like we didn't know what to do once we got behind. Because we had a great first quarter, we built an early lead, and we'll get into you know our, what our keys to success were last week and how well they did meeting those. But we built an early lead and then all, and then all of a sudden we were down yeah. in the second half. And after that, it just didn't seem like we knew what we were doing. And then we got a lead again, and then it seemed like, okay, we know how to run this offense. And then we got down again and we forgot. I just don't understand why it seems like as soon as we get hit in the mouth, we don't know what to do.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it. This team doesn't know how to respond to adversity. At least the play calling doesn't know how to respond to adversity.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. The coaching staff doesn't seem to know how to respond to adversity. The players seem to do it just fine. Like Geno Smith threw a bad interception, but he came back and and got us within this close of winning the game. Yeah, man. I, I mean, we so we, we talked last week about what we thought our keys to success for this game were. So number one was containing Devontae Adams. Number two was build that early lead. Win in the trenches was number three. Number four was get to the quarterback. And the last one was win the turnover battle with the caveat of we have to capitalize if we, if we do win that turnover battle. And look, I think we started off well. Look, we, we – We did what I said. We scored first, we built that early lead, which I think feeds right into how we want to play offense and defense. We did a pretty damn good job of containing Devonta Adams. Look, he he still had seven catches for 75 yards, but you look at the rest of the games he's played this season, and that's not a bad stat line. To, to come away with as a defense when you're when you're trying to contain Devonte adams he was targeted 11 times n- didn't get in the end zone he had some targets in the end zone but he never scored a touchdown and he didn't really get loose i mean that's 10 yards basically every time he caught the ball that's not a i mean that's not a good Devonte adams statler
0: yeah if you would have asked me before this game Devonte adams is going to be held to seven receptions for 74 yards i'd have taken that in fact i would take that 10 out of 10 times And if you look at it, they were afraid of Tariq Woolen. Somebody posted a graphic of every target that Devontae Adams had. One of the colors were just the target. One of them were receptions. And every single route that he ran where he was targeted, he was on the right side of the offense. So the left side of the defense, that's where Jackson lines up. They were afraid of Tariq Woolen. They wanted no part of the physical freak that is Tariq Woolen.
1: Yeah, getting serious Richard Sherman deja vu vibes uh, this year with Tariq Woolen. Uh, the fact that you have a quarterback with a dominant receiver—actually, this is super similar because we're talking about Devontae Adams, who used to play in Green Bay with uh, Aaron Rodgers, who at the time was in the same position. He would not throw at Richard Sherman; he went the other way every single time. And we're seeing that again with Tariq Woolen, which, which is great. I mean, like. I think we're gonna we're gonna there's gonna be a lot of negatives to take away from this game but I do I do want to say right now that uh, Tariq Woolen, the man is playing lights out we we have a uh, we have building blocks on this team that could easily build could easily t- translate into another dynasty and I know that the LOB was the dynasty that ever was here but the success that we had during that era is was pretty much unprecedented definitely unprecedented what it Comes to the Seattle sports, but in the league as well. I mean, we we were the number one defense four years in a row, and this close to having it five years in a row, which had never been done before. We have those same building blocks again. You know, I mean, if the coaching staff, if they dislodge their cranium from their rectums, we can we can turn this around, and and like I said, have have some pretty well well sustained success uh, in this league. Uh, but getting back to our keys to success. Uh, we didn't say anything specifically about the run game and I know Because I've seen it already on Twitter that the narrative is gonna be well Seahawks couldn't contain the run they, they they just got destroyed on the ground like like they did in Germany, and I will say this yes When you look at the stat line 220 plus yard yards rushing for one guy uh, Seems to be pretty brutal, but I think you have to go back and, and take this chunk by chunk and look until the overtime Josh Jacobs, now he, he was getting loose, but most of those were on receptions. He was getting he was getting uh, uh, receptions out in the backfield and taking those for chunk yardage. On runs, he didn't have a run greater greater than seven yards the entire game in in in, uh, in regulation. Not one. He was averaging less than four yards of carry in regulation. Now, in overtime, he had a couple of big runs, a couple of couple of you know, 10, 12 runs, and then obviously the 86-yard touchdown run to seal the game. But the defense did a pretty decent job of doing the two things we had to do to win this game, contain Devontae Adams and contain Josh Jacobs, the two big
0: weapons they have on offense. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to agree with you on that. As far as winning in the trenches, we did not win in the trenches. A lot of that is schematic. I will get to that later because you know that I'm definitely going to harp on misuse in that area.
1: No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there one second. I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. What I'm saying is that if we just look at, it, if the narr- the narrative that people are going to try and push right now is that they we couldn't stop the run. Well, that's not true. For 60 minutes, we did a damn good job of stopping the run or at least not letting it dictate the game. Now, I, do, I know we have we have a win in the trenches, but I think that the the, the next one is the key one. Uh, our, our, our third key to success was winning the trenches, which, no, we didn't do. And I know you want to touch on that. But I just, just to kind of round that round that out or, or kind of bring that full circle, the next one that we had was get to the quarterback. We didn't do that. Oh, no. Not not even a little bit. No. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's where we failed. I, I do think that we keyed on stopping the run, but we couldn't even touch Derek Carr in this game.
0: Yeah. Like you said, they held Josh Jacobs to... I'll say an okay average. You said right around four yards per carry during yeah. regulation, and that's fine. They were getting little chunks of yardage, and then they'd be like, "Okay, now we're in a passing situation." But then, with zero pressure, Derek Carr just picked apart the defense. You have to be able to at least get a little pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, do we? T- I don't even. I don't think we touched him
1: this whole game. I'm, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look just to double check real quick. But I'm. Fairly positive.
0: We did not touch him the entire game. We did early in the first quarter. And in fact, that he was shaken up on one play uh, because we actually got pressure. And I think that was Puna Ford or Shelby Harris.
1: It was was Puna Ford. Puna Ford is the only person credited
0: with a sack for the game. You're right. But very minimal pressure throughout the entire game.
1: Yeah, and that's disappointing because, you know, I think going into this game, we talked about how our linebackers or at least in my opinion, we had the better linebacking core because I thought that our outside guys were going to be able to create pressure. This is not a great offensive line that they that they have uh, there, especially at the, at the tackle position. They are vulnerable there. Derek Carr has gotten sacked the, the, this season. That's one of the reasons why they haven't had a lot of winning games is because he hasn't had time in the pocket to throw. Well, he had all day to throw here. Uh, and and it didn't help that in addition to having all, ta- all, all the time he needed to throw, our guys were 10, 12 that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but we were playing off ball so much that their guys were wide open the whole time. Uh, this was the softest zone coverage I think I have ever seen us play because uh, minus two or three downs, we were nowhere near their guys when the ball was being thrown.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, started off early, uh, speaking to that coverage, Quandre Diggs had those two interceptions, which right there put us ahead in our fifth key to success, which was win the turnover battle, we just failed to execute the second half of that, which was capitalize on those turnovers. Well, we did the first time.
1: I mean, that first pick set us up right on the 15 yard line and we went in two plays and scored. And, and I thought, that's it. We're, we're, and, that, and that's why I said, I was, so I was so hyped for this game because I literally, until the moment we lost, I was positive we were winning this game. And it's because of plays like that. Andre Diggs, Cody Barton had a hell of a game tackling. He was the reason we got that, that Diggs got that second pick, that deflected pass. Cody Barton has really, he got bagged on a lot early this season. I was doing it too, but he has really come on of late. Uh, and I, and I, I know I keep taking these asides to kind of point out positives, which is, you know, not a lot of fun because this is definitely not a positive game. But there are plenty of positives that we can take away from this game. I know the overall picture is not good, but I just wanted to point that out real quick.
0: Yeah, I'll take that. You know, a little positive note, Cody Barton playing well. I think that's awesome. I know he had that critical stop on that fourth down play where they stopped. Jake was behind the line. That was Cody Barton teaming up with another player whose name is eluding me at the time. But Cody Barton flashed in, finished off that tackle. But for me, I had faith until it seemed like the NFL and NFL officiating did not want the Seahawks to win this game. Yeah, I knew we were gonna get to this eventually. There were two specific calls in the fourth quarter. Critical calls, like these are game-changing calls. Critical calls, in fact, one of them for sure cost the Seahawks just an outright win. The second one, the Seahawks would have actually had to do a little bit of something. Yes, get 10 more yards, you're right. They would have had to get 10 more yards. So the first call was Josh Jacobs' run. He actually gets a first down, it's down in the red zone. He gets tackled, rolled over on Al Woods. I believe it was Kobe Bryant came in there and the two players teamed up, got the ball out, ball comes out, recovered by the Seahawks. Clear recovery. The ref said he was down. All right. Out comes the red challenge flag. Pete Carroll says there's no way not a single part of his body touched the ground. And he was absolutely correct on that. The officials got together. They huddled up. Yeah, well, so then the story changes. Yeah. So after the play, they say, Oh, no, he was stopped. His forward progress was stopped. Well, let me tell you, I am a former official. When you stop a play for forward progress, you're stopping a play to help keep a player safe. So what happens is the player gets going. Their forward progress is stopped. Normally there's multiple players. They're getting driven back. You blow the whistle to stop the play in order to protect the player. The whistle stops the play. No official on that field blew their whistle until after all action on the field was over, meaning not a single official stopped the play due to forward progress. Yet that became the story after the officials huddled. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm just going to put it out there. They said we stopped it for forward progress because they didn't want to admit that they missed the fumble call.
1: Egregious, pathetic. I, I we were we were rewinding and rewatching this right before we, we jumped on. I mean, the only th- I mean, look, officials are human beings. They're going to make mistakes on top of that. They're human beings. They have egos. And I get that. No one wants to. No one wants to be embarrassed on national television, but clearly you were clearly. You got that wrong. You were wrong. He was not down he fumbled, it was recovered. All right, you messed up. So look, this happens all the time. It's not like this is the first time that officials had gotten a call wrong and been shown that they got the call wrong. Uh, but then to double down and go, you know, you're right. It, it, not even you're right, they were just like, well, it wasn't that he was down, it's that his forward progress was stopped. The story changed. If they had said from the outset that his forward progress was stopped and that that that's why it wasn't a fumble recovery, okay, fine. But that's not what happened. They said he was down, Challenged? No, he was. We we say no, he wasn't down. Throw the challenge flag. It's clear as day. No, nope, he was never down. The the ball came out before any part of his body touched the ground. Okay, well you're right. He wasn't he wasn't down, but his forward progress was stopped, and and so that that's why. I mean, it, it's obviously BS, and uh, you know you could see if you go back and watch the post uh, the press conference post game, Pete Carroll was pretty dejected about that. Just uh, just completely just didn't understand why that was a, that, that was you know called the way it was because it it was clearly they were clearly wrong
0: and the outcome of that play caused the seahawks not to get the ball back and the raiders ended up tying the game up yeah kicking a field goal now 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 it's tied 34-34 the next one was the dk metcalf catch quote unquote on the sideline now i will be the first to admit i will back the referees if i see stuff and this is kind of what happened here they called it a catch on the field. They called it adamantly a catch on the field. If you watch the official who actually- yeah, two two officials. Yeah, two officials who called it a catch agreed. They were very adamant about it. The video review of this play took like five minutes. It
1: took, it took eight, almost nine. It took over eight and a half minutes. There you go. Timing
0: Almost nine minutes, which means they probably looked at it a hundred times. If you're looking at a play In very slow motion, a hundred times, you're looking for a reason to overturn that play. In the end, I actually think they got it right. If you look at the really slow motion, yes, the ball slightly turns as Metcalf is sliding out of bounds. You could say the ball was moving. He didn't fully complete the process of the catch. But that's when you slow it down to the point where you're nitpicking and you're looking for a reason to overturn. That should have been play stands, meaning they couldn't confirm, they couldn't overturn because they were hyper vigilant, looking for a reason to overturn that call.
1: Yeah, and I and here and that and that's one. That's not the that's not the only reason why I'm going to disagree with you, but but I do disagree with you on the, because of that as well. But look, we watched the play a, a dozen times. When, you know, rewind, watch it again, rewind, watch it again. I know that we don't have all the angles that the refs have, but I have all the angles that they, they show up, that they can show us on TV. And there were three different angles of this. At no point was that ball not in DK's control. Yes, the ball moved, but that's because he was wrote. He was trying to keep the ball off the ground as he was rolling. Like his hand is moving. Of course the ball's moving. But at no point was he not in control of that ball. At no point. Like, there was there was not there wasn't a chance that that ball was going to get dropped dk had it and a story we, it, we should be we should have already won this game you know a get that call those kind of things happen all the time so the fact that not only do we not get the fumble call correctly but then they over after like i said nearly nine minutes of review they go yeah no we decided no it's not a catch on a crucial third down this was a third down play completely changed the outcome of the game we have to then instead you know with with 48 seconds left we now have to punt the ball away and you know the raiders they don't even try to score they just they they do two run plays run out the clock uh and and go to overtime which, I, which i'm you know i'm sure they did because they're like we got away with one there or two two in a row there let's just let's just reassess take this back and and go to ot and that's kind of where things just went downhill because we and i don't not necessarily downhill because i think that we we go into ot they get the ball first we stop them. we stuffed them and then they had to kick a a 57 yard field goal that they missed setting us up on on the what the 43 yard line and i think honestly our defense just after our offense was not able to get anything going well i shouldn't say that because the first play we get five yards past the locket uh and then for some reason we decide we're going to run out of an empty set so we have we have Five offensive linemen, no tight ends. We're when a spread offense. We have four four wide receivers, and we run it right up the gut. I don't know why that was the play call, because it didn't make any freaking sense to me. We haven't gotten any push all day up the middle, yet that's what we're going to try and do right now without any extra blockers. Okay, fine. We obviously we lost a yard. Okay, so now we have third and six. And again, all we do is go empty set, we got five wide receivers, and we attempt to throw behind the line of scrimmage. It wasn't even past the line of scrimmage that we try and make this throw. And it it goes out of bounds, no catch, we have to punt. And if I was the defense, if I was on the defense, I would have felt the same way. I would have felt completely dejected, like, my God, you guys, how many times can we stop them and give you a chance to win this game for us, and you can't come away with it. And look, that's not. I'm not saying that's an excuse, the defense still should have risen to the occasion and, and held him again. But obviously the very next play after the after the punt is an 86 yard touchdown run that just looked like we were gassed, which is hilarious because it didn't look like it looked like we had plenty in the tank the the series before on defense. But you look at that run and he just ran right by our guys. No, no, one, no one even touched him. It didn't even look like people tried.
0: Well, since you brought up the defense there at the end of the game, how about we just talk about the defense? How do you feel about the run defense in this game? You know, it starts at the line of scrimmage. We definitely did not win in the trenches, like our key to success. We need to stop playing with two down linemen. I know other three, four teams play with two down linemen in nickel packages. Well, it doesn't work for our defense because of what we had to do in order to make our defense work. Normal three, four teams have three two-gap defensive line defenders. They extend, have two gaps of responsibility, they flow with the play, they allow the linebackers to come in and fill the holes stopping the run. We don't have players who can two-gap outside of Al Woods and probably Brian Monet, though we haven't seen him much of late. So what they're doing is they're putting two down linemen. The adjustment we made earlier in the season in order to make our defense effective was that they had our defensive ends one-gapping instead of two-gapping. Well, when you only have two down defensive linemen and you one-gap and then you send your outside linebackers around the edge of the offensive line in the both C-gaps, you end up with two wide-open holes in the inside. This is not effective, guys. This does not work because now the offense gets to dictate where your players are going to be and not have the defense reacting to what's going on in the play.
1: Yeah, look, I I, I agree with you that that our run defense, this is two weeks in a row where it didn't look really good. But I'll say this, the reason why I said that that wasn't the reason we lost the game and and why I think that the conversation gearing towards uh, how we got destroyed on the ground again isn't necessarily correct is because we were going up against a pretty mediocre offensive line and because they kept trying to just rush up the middle with Josh Jacobs, now Josh Jacobs is probably the hardest runner in the NFL, not named Nick Chubb, because he just keeps churning. He gets low and he moves bodies. But he that offensive line isn't open. It did not open up any holes for him to run through up the middle. He was he was hitting the wall every single time. Uh, he was getting yard. He was getting two and three yards because he's such a hard runner. Now what we didn't see a lot of in this game were stretch runs to the outside or traps. None, that wasn't happening. It was, it was run up the gut or a toss sweep to the outside. Now, the reason that the toss sweep to the outside wasn't effective is because you're tossing the, you're going backwards to go forwards. You're tossing the ball backwards to your, your back to, to get him to go out wide. And by that time, our linebackers on the edges are fast enough to seal up that hole and, and get to it, or our safeties are fast enough to get downhill on it. Had they done stretch plays, or, or trap, trap runs, I think they would have gashed us for probably 300 yards this game because there's no way that we could plug those holes quick enough or get to that, or, or get to the edge quick enough because they would have already been up at the line of scrimmage passing that off and going sideways. Uh, and I think Josh Jacobs is quick enough to get to the edge and around that corner before we we stop him. But because of the runs that they were doing, I don't think that they had an effective run game. Now I'm not saying our, our run defense was effective. I'm saying that they did not have an effective run game. I think those things can be mutually exclusive, and in this case, I think that they are. Our run defense was horrible. Our run defense is horrible. I don't think we have to say was because I, I, this is something that's been a pretty look. I, I know that we had a couple of games in the middle of this this season so far where we looked like we had turned it around and we we had an effective run defense. I think that's a mirage. I honestly do. I don't think that's the truth. I think we were going up against ineffective teams that didn't know how to run the ball. Now, the one. Thing that kind of kills that argument is when we played Tampa because they were the absolute worst running, they were the worst running offense of all time. Not just in the league. They had the worst yards per average of any team up to that point since that stat has been measured. This is this is per this is per NFL.com. So that's how bad their run game was when we faced them in Munich. And yet they were able to run on us. So what I think happened is someone they and and they were a team that did a lot of trap runs, and they ran, they ran to the outside. They had, they had quicker. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the the rookie running back. He's a he's a pretty fleet-footed guy. He can get to that edge pretty quick, and that's why they were able to run on us because they were able to get outside, round that corner, and get big chunk yards. Because you're right, we don't have an effective run defense. And as soon as teams go back and watch this tape on us, and watch our run defense, they're gonna know that hey, we don't. Let's not even try and run up the middle. Let's run to the outside because we'll get it, We'll get chunk yards every single time.
0: Yeah, well, our coverage wasn't much better in this game. And I think a lot of that has to do with the defensive game plan. We had really soft coverage. And I know soft is one of those bad words to use in football. It, we had soft coverage. They were playing off, but they were playing zone. It was soft off coverage zones that were very ineffective and it never changed. That goes right to the dc yeah i don't i, I didn't I, I didn't get it
1: like we had talked before about what i thought the game plan would be and i didn't think that they were going to follow my game plan i'm not that's not my thing i'm not i'm not a defensive coordinator for multiple reasons uh, not just because i don't know defenses uh but also that <laughs> but when you've got a quarterback like derek carr that, that has a pretty strong arm when he has time to sit back there can be pretty accurate uh if you're giving him space to find the open man, which he was able to do pretty much this entire game, because if he looked, there was always going to be one guy with no one around him. And he was able to find that guy pretty much all game, whether that was Devontae Adams, because when Devontae Adams had catches, I think only one or two of them were contested. The rest of the time, he was wide open.
0: Yeah, well, that goes right to defensive game planning. They were soft in their pressure packages, as we discussed earlier. They were soft in their run fits, which we discussed earlier. They were soft in coverage. It was a horrible defensive game plan, and this is my bag. This is what I look at. The problem also is the failure to adjust. Derek Carr was sitting back there picking apart the defense because they were running zone-beating routes. Never once did they go, oh, maybe we should run a few man plays and see what this does. I don't know if the defensive coaching staff made any adjustments. Maybe they just had a little party at halftime. I don't know what was going on there, but sure as heck wasn't fixing the defensive game plan.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the reason that may have been is because they may not have thought at halftime that they needed to fix the defensive game plan. Because at that point we I, I know that we were behind. We were behind by one score. But we had, had a cup they'd had several three and outs. They they weren't they were marching up and down the field beating us. Um, you know they they were they got up because you know Geno Smith had a bad had threw a bad pick, uh, and they were able to to get ahead of us that way. Uh, up until then, we were we were winning. We were up by two scores at one point. So you're right. I don't think there was a defensive adjustment at halftime. Uh, but I think that's because they didn't think they needed to make an adjustment. Clearly, they were wrong. But I think that the reason that didn't happen is because they didn't think it needed to.
0: Yeah. Well, the offense. If you look at the scoreboard showed an offensive explosion. I mean, we put up a ton of points in this game. Yeah, 34, I think 34 is well above our average. Oh, for sure. What is our average? Right around 20, probably just shy of 27. 20. It was it was just 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 shy of 28 coming into this game. If you look at our running game, we actually were doing pretty well earlier in the game. But then for some reason, I have my suspicions. But for some reason, we quit running north and south. And I don't know why. I can I can tell you why. You really don't know why? Cuz Shane Waldron got scared because we were
1: down by we weren't we weren't we didn't have the lead. So Shane Waldron got scared. So he said, "Oh crap, throw the throw this offensive game plan I made out of the win- out the window and we're going to make it up as we go
0: along." Yeah, it's exactly what we talked about in our preview show. Let's hope Shane Waldron doesn't get scared because they're behind. It's exactly what we talked about. Yeah, and clearly he did. Well, then you look at the passing game, right? We were right about the Raiders' defensive line. They ate our offensive line for breakfast. I know Abe Lucas was coming off of an illness. Who knows if he should have been out there. He looked like that wasn't bugging him, but he was put on skates multiple times by Max Crosby. Max Crosby is a grown man out there, and so is Abe Lucas. And he made Abe Lucas look like a high schooler. It was bad. But we didn't mix up any of our play types. Where were the short crossing routes to get the ball out of Geno Smith's hands quicker? We're not a screen team. And they were throwing screens, which were then getting blown up because we're not a screen team. I don't know where our passing game is. It's definitely not where it should be. Not in week 12. It's not where it was three, four weeks ago, so I don't know what they did. I I think anybody that's watched the Seahawks up to this point, can tell you what what what
1: is makes for an effective passing game with our team. It's multiple tight end sets with a threat of the run on every single play. If we're threatening a run on every single play, they have to dedicate someone to, to watching our running back or, or watching that line. Uh, and when we and you could see when we started to do you know have have uh, crossing routes or we started to do movement along the up op- pre-snap movement along the offensive line, which we did for one series, it was pretty damn effective. It was so effective in fact that Kenneth Walker got his sec- second touchdown of the game using that system. Multiple tight end sets, free snap movements, run the ball. And it worked.
0: Yeah, we're going away from Seahawks football identity. We do what we do, and you have to stop us. This is what I have to say about our offensive game plan. The person who created the offensive game plan needs to have those duties removed. Immediately. Just like Adam just said, where were the multiple tight end sets? Tight ends help us in the passing game. They help us in the run. They make play action effective. They help block. Yeah, exactly. They can stay in there to chip on defensive ends or just block. Just stay in there as another offensive lineman almost. Where were the tight ends? That goes right to the offensive game plan. And then early in the game, when Walker was running efficiently and effective, where were the play action passes to soften the defense, to back them up so they weren't crowding the line of scrimmage because he was effective and then they'd crowd the line of scrimmage and we'd run the ball right into the defensive strength. The game plan was horrible. The play calling is also a little suspect.
1: It was it was hit and miss, man. Uh, and and the, the thing that I'm not getting uh, is that when we did have multiple tight ends out there, more often than not, we were spreading them out. So we didn't have them in line. We were putting them out wide. We had Noah Fan out wide. We had Will Disley out wide. We had Kobe Parkinson out wide. I I don't mind doing that every once in a while. And I certainly don't mind doing that when we have multiple tight ends out there. Why would you put three tight ends out there and put them all wide?
0: No one in line. Why would you do that? Yeah, early in the season, I charted this exactly. And when the tight ends were out wide versus in tight, we had a noticeable drop in effectiveness of the plays. I know I'm not the only one who knows how to chart plays. There's a statistician that is employed by the team who can probably give the exact same numbers that I did. In fact, if you want somebody split out wide, call me crazy, but I think perhaps that should be a wide receiver. And then if you want somebody close to the line of scrimmage, up tight, maybe that should be a tight end. Funny how that works. Isn't it though? Look, I, I, we, we have. We've got some really good
1: pass catchers. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the tight ends. I'm talking about our, our wide receivers. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, probably the. I mean, outside of Big Mike and, and Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay, probably the best one two punch at wide receiver in the entire league. And Marquise Goodwin has acquitted himself as a pretty good third option in the passing game. That said, that's three wide receivers. And I have no problem if we want to run one if we want half of our pass plays to come out of three wide receiver sets, fine, great, do it. We've got guys that we've got guys that can do it. But why are we doing five wide sets? That's not this offense. This is not a spread offense, it's not a college offense. And especially in a game where our offensive line can't block a guy long enough for five routes to develop. That makes no sense. I, I don't know why we would ever with the, with the group of tight ends that we have, and we were actually reading an article earlier this week, you and I, uh, that was posted on Field Goals, that was talking about how effective our tight ends are in the passing game and the run. It was in the run game as well. But it was just talking about how effective they were, how effective our offense was when we had the tight ends out there. And if you take our tight ends as a group, we have the second most effective tight end group in the league. The only team that has a better tight end group is Kansas City. And the only reason they have a better tight end group their tight end group is kravis Kelsey. So if we have that, if, if we know that they're that effective, and it shouldn't, like you said, I'm sure the team has people that can look this up and figure this out as well. If we can, if we can look at these numbers and go, wow, our offense is really effective when we have a, have a tight end out there. Why would we ever run a single offensive play without at least one tight end on the field? Why? We've got two rookie tackles, and I'm not saying that they haven't played well because they have, but they're still rookies. And man, it, it's really, really nice as a rookie tackle if you know you've got a guy on either side of you that can help out blocking if
0: necessary. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. I do have a one question to ask you. I'm, I'm you, you prepped me for this and I'm kind of scared. I don't know what the question is, but you prepped me for it. You said you're gonna ask a question. So here it is. Do these Seahawks still make the playoffs?
1: Ooh do these see how, are we you you mean if it's the same if it, we see this play calling next week and the week after that and the week after that uh, and and the same defensive struggles um no no and I'll tell you why because we are going to play the San Francisco 49ers and this team will not be the San Francisco 49ers the, the team we saw today that put up that all those points, against the San Francisco 49ers, not only will we not put up those points, because we won't. They're, they're, they've they got a much better defense than the, than the Las Vegas Raiders did. Uh, But this offense won't put up any points because as, as effective as the pass rush of the Las Vegas Raiders was against our offensive line, if we go out with that same offensive game plan against the San Francisco 49ers, we might not get a first down all game. No. I mean, look, I... I, I don't like saying this because I honestly look, and I, we, I already talked about how, how hyped I was for this game and, and how I literally thought until the last play of this game that we were going to win. Not thought, I knew until the last play of this game we were going to win. And there was no doubt in my mind until Josh Jacobs just ran 86 yards for a touchdown in OT. I mean, look, we, we've, we've got the San Francisco 49ers, we still have to play. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this th- this team is not winning either of those games. And it's not going to be close. So there's two losses there. So that puts us at six and what six and seven, and what are what are our uh, we, we have four other games, and that that's against the uh, the Los Angeles or oh, sorry the Los Angeles
0: Rams, uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Um, no, we play the oh sorry two against the Rams, one against the Panthers, once again one against the Jets.
1: Oh, that's right. I don't know if you watched the games today, but the Jets have a pretty darn good defense. And the guy they had quarterbacking, Mike White, looked like a pretty respectable NFL quarterback. If we, if this Seahawks team that played today plays the Jets team that played today, that's a loss. Uh, if this Seahawks team today plays the Panthers team that played today, that's a loss. Yeah, you, we could say that's iffy, but I would say it's a loss. Right now, looking at this Seahawks team, if we're play, if we this Seahawks team for the rest of the season, we're ending the season at seven and 10. Seven and 10 doesn't make the playoffs, so no.
0: The way I looked at it, I- I'm right there with you. If this Seahawks performance shows up in the rest of the games for the rest of the year, we split with the Rams, we beat the Panthers, but we lose to the Niners, Chiefs, and Jets, ending the season at eight and nine, two spots outside of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and look, if you would if you would ask me at the beginning of this year, if if eight and nine was an acceptable record for the Seahawks, I I would have said hell yeah. Yeah. I'd love it. The the only thing that's keeping me from having that same attitude right now is that this team has shown me that they are a much more talented team than that. These we we are we are a better team than that. We have better players than that. We certainly have a head coach who's better than eight and nine. And with what we've seen this offense be able to do and what we've seen this defense be able to do, that should be unacceptable for any Seahawks fan and it should definitely be unacceptable for the Seahawks organization. The uh, The playoff field is still wide open. You know, we're still in it. I'm, I'm gonna have to double check it, but I don't think that we are out of the playoffs yet After after this slate of games. We'll have to see what happens Monday.
0: I think we fell below the Commanders.
1: Oh, that's right, we may have. I forgot I forgot the, that the Commanders won today. All right, look, we're one spot out of the playoffs right now. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I think that this Seahawks team is better than the Washington Commanders. I think the Seahawks team is better than the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Seahawks team is better than the Carolina Panthers. I could be wrong. And if we play like we played today, I am wrong.
0: All right, I know this episode has gone long, we try to keep these just under a half hour. This one definitely went over. Adam, do you have any final thoughts on this week 12 game?
1: I my final thought is this. There are two ways that we can come out of this. And it's the exact, it's the exact same storyline as last week when we when we lost. and We went into our week. We can either use this as a rallying point and build off this because there were some positives to take away from this game. We talked about uh, there were some, some defensive standouts. Diggs got two interceptions this game. Barton had a hell of a game. Uh, Brooks was a tackling machine. Uh, Nobody wants to throw at Tariq Warren. There are things to build on. Kenneth Walker's still a beast in the run game, especially when we're in close. If we don't build off those things, then there's a very clear path to losing out the rest of the season. Or at the very least, losing enough that we don't make the playoffs. And that, I think, is going to be very, very detrimental to the future of this team, because I think you're going to send a message to these young players that they weren't good enough. And while I think that a lot of them have the fortitude to get over that kind of setback, I don't know that all. and right now we got some great rookies. If they don't, we don't end this uh, season on a positive note with something to build on for next year, we're going to lose some of those building blocks.
0: For me, my final thoughts are something I was holding on to. I was going to wait to bring this up until the postseason. I hope that this offensive explosion that we've seen, this high-scoring team that we've seen over the past few weeks, and even today with the 34 points, I think that that offensive output, I really hope that it helps Shane Waldron get a head coaching job in college or somewhere in the pros. Because honestly, I don't want him calling plays or making an offensive game plan for the Seattle Seahawks. He might be a great offensive mind. I think he'd be an amazing coach in college. He has that type of style. Let him go to college and run the air raid or the spread offense. That seems to be what he wants to do. People are going to counter this with the argument that, hey, they put up 30 points. How can it be an offensive problem? It's clearly on the defense. And yes, the defense should take a lot of the heat for this game. But you have to look at situational play calling. What I've seen from Shane Waldron and his play calling is that he panics in challenging games. He abandons established successful strategies on the field, like multiple tight end sets. I don't know if he thinks that he's some football revolutionary that he's someone who's going to come in and change the game and think of something that hasn't been thought of by anybody else in a hundred years. Because I'll tell you right now, he's not. So I will be the loudest voice cheering for Shane Waldron to get a head coaching job because I don't like what he's doing to the Seattle Seahawks. And that has been the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. As always, go Hawks.
1: Go Hawks.